Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I'll be reading here the first opening verses of uh, this chapter down to verse 11. This is the word of God. Indeed, may he mix faith in our hearts as we have the word of God read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the reading of God's word. Let's, let's pray now asking God to be with us in the word. Our Father, it is that we are your disciples, even like the, the ones of old who followed you from place to place, uh, in the land of Canaan. And, O oh Lord, in this regard, we sit at our Savior's feet. Uh, we are here to be taught and instructed tonight. Uh, we are here, Lord, that you truly might convict us uh, where we are going our own way and, 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 and thinking of ourselves that life is, is all up to us, Lord. Uh, remove these thoughts uh, by being in your word, and that you would transform our minds, uh, being in your word, Lord, to pursue renewal and repentance and service to Christ. Be our encouragement, we pray. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that the church is uh, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Um, he is the one, uh, head of the body, who leads the church with his authority, and is the supply of every joint and sinew and ligament that the body of Christ would grow and mature uh, to be that, um, that living body, uh, the place of the Lord's dwelling. Uh, grant us your help even here tonight. Uh, grant us your strength, your wisdom, your guidance, your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is chock full here with encouragement. You have the mighty Apostle Paul, who is in earnest to pray for this church. If you'll notice where we have kind of an opening section and a closing section, he's in prayer. Uh, he says, first of all, up in verse 3, I thank my God for you. What encouragement that is. Then run your eyes on down to verse 9, and he says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So this whole section is where the apostle, and through the lens, through the lens of his apostolic leadership, through the lens of his pastoral heart for this local church, is he's bringing encouragement uh, to the people of God here at Philippi. 
And I'd like to give uh, considerable focus tonight at verse 6. I am sure of this, as he says here. What, what confidence he has, and his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is not in his experience. His confidence is in the Lord as he's shepherding this church and ministering to this church. And I'm sure of this, as he says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence is in the Lord. And his confidence is in the Lord regarding the matter of this church and this church's maturity and growth and prosperity and furtherance to be a forward-looking body. Now, why do they need this encouragement? Why is it that Paul is reflecting about God who's at work and always working uh, why do they need to hear this inspired reflection, all of the Holy Spirit, like here in verse 6? Why such confidence regarding encouragement? Well, Paul knows this church. He knows this church in Asia Minor, in Philippi. They gave to him a financial gift, maybe more than one financial gift. And we have here in verses 7 and 8 something about their fellowship and their partnership with him in the gospel. But you see, he knows that they may be thinking that the gospel and the work of the gospel has gotten sidetracked. Why? Look down with me at verse 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Because he has a relationship with this church, and they have invested in his ministry financially, and they did that through their servant Epaphroditus, that's chapter 2. Epaphroditus found Paul, ministered to Paul, even to the point, remember it says in that chapter, almost to the point of death, he gave himself away in that service on their behalf to the apostle. Now, he's writing saying, okay, Epaphroditus has returned to you, and now you're hearing, I'm in prison. And you're thinking that the gospel is going nowhere. <laughs> so that's why he's writing such encouragement to them. Not only is he confident, I mean, it would be a subset of this lesson now, a subset of this lesson. Not only is he confident that God is working in his own life to bring to pass that complete work of Christ until the day of Christ. But he's also echoing this for their sake as well, that indeed he says at verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul knows this congregation. They've made an investment. They're sharing in the fellowship of the gospel. They have concerns. Maybe the gospel is getting thwarted. Paul also knows that there are threats to their unity. That's chapter 2. In chapter 2, those opening verses, look down at chapter 2 at verses 3 and following. Well, yeah, chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 2 at verse 2 and following. Complete my joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Those are lessons of unity. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He knows their concerns about their unity. He's going to specify in chapter 4, if you run your eyes back to chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 2, 
of chapter 4, there are two women who are not getting along. Verse 2 of chapter 4, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. They need help. They're not getting along. There's a threat to, again, a threat to their unity. There's disunity. There's discord in this congregation. Again, it's confidence. And I'm sure of this, chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. See what Paul's doing. They have these concerns. We don't have time tonight to explore the fact that this is a suffering church. He says in chapter 1, there are adversaries all around them. Uh, we don't have time to explore the matter of just their commitment to serving one another. And, and he says, receive Timothy as a fellow bond slave. The point is, they are consumed with service. And yet they might be thinking, is our service in vain? Paul is saying, I am sure of this. Again, chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Two lessons I want to focus in. That's the backdrop. I wanted you to grab with me, capture with me the context. This is the backdrop to the confidence he has in the Lord regarding the Lord's ongoing work. So two lessons tonight. Let's look at God's activity. And let's look at practical hope. God's activity, God's working. Let's look at that, God's activity, and then we'll look at practical hope. Our verse here at chapter 1, verse 6, it says, um, He who began a good work. That's God's activity. He who began a good work. He goes on to say, we'll bring it to completion. <laughs> That's God's activity as well. God is at work in the very first of drawing his people into that circle of the things of the gospel. He's involved in relationships. He's involved in arranging circumstances. He who began a good work. He is involved with using words, words of testimony, words of instruction, portions of scripture. It, it matters not. Our God is the God who is active, who is always at work. Dear brothers and sisters, I can remember when I was in Bible college. I went to Bible college out in Portland, Oregon. I went to Multnomah School of the Bible. It's now called Multnomah University. I can remember that the university, the Bible college, would have these testimony or gospel evangelization or days of witness. Gospel evangelization days. And we were assigned to different teams. And so whether it be bus stops, a train depot, the bus station, uh, a shopping mall, neighborhoods, we were assigned to these teams, and we were then to go out throughout that day. They would suspend school, kind of take a time out on the daily activities of our classes, and they would send us forth throughout the city of Portland. So here we are, some 700, 800 to 1,000 students out doing ministry for the day. But then we would all report back into this, into this huge chapel where we would all be assembled once a week for our chapel services. And... Um, so here we are, we're back assembled for chapel, and of course it's a time for 
people reporting back. Well, this one team, I remember this like it happened yesterday. This one team gave a report where not too far from the campus were a series of business, uh, a, a line of businesses. And so this one team, they were being courteous. After all, it was a work day, but they were going to these businesses and they, they went into an insurance company. And one of the gentlemen sitting at his desk was responsive in terms of, you know, open to receiving this small team of three that had come into the business that day, his insurance company. And he began to, to talk with them. Of course, they introduced themselves, courteous, expressing some, some niceties about entering into this man's day, his work day. But he said, oh, yeah, I, I know about Multnomah. I know where the campus is. After all, it's just down the street here. And he says, I know about the students as well. But I got to tell you, I'm coming to the end of my life. Let me go to my notes here. I've tried, and I've tried Christianity, and I think I'm about ready to give up on God. That team had a gospel booklet, and the title of that booklet was, So You're Ready to Give Up on God. When that, when that team that day presented that, we, we, we just, you know, sort of a, just a roar went over us because God is working, right? I mean, can you imagine walking in to this insurance company, the very words upon, you know, from his mouth, they have a booklet to share with this man. <laughs> so I will always remember that story. This is what our Lord does. He is at work. He's at work in terms of circumstances. He's sovereign. He's arranging people and relationships and cares and concerns. And Paul is certainly, he's certainly giving focus here that our God is active, active in bringing us to that place of confessing Christ, walking with Christ, living in Christ, knowing that there's no other hope but Jesus Christ. He is at work. He was, he was at work in the work of his sovereign electing grace before the foundation of the world, before your life experience. He is at work. That's why the book of Ephesians is so clear there that Paul is giving praise to God about his electing work. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is our God. He is not working because we are working. He is not working because he had foresight to see that we would believe, that we would indeed be inclined to believe. Now, remember what Paul says, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We're not thinking of God of ourselves. We're not, we're not, we're not putting the, the religiosity of life and our spiritual nature together ourselves. Paul is saying, he who began a good work in you is the very God who will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Your salvation from before the foundation of the world is his work. His continuing work of... Uh, Walking with you in Christ Jesus, that is his work. He takes the initiative. He's the one growing you in maturity and his grace. He's the one that continues that work. You know, he doesn't come to us and says, now, look, I've started things. You finish it up. Paul says, 
And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. From start to finish, this is his activity. Sovereign grace, he's building his church. He's calling, out of us, calling us out of darkness into his light through his son, faith in Christ. Uh, from day one, it tells us, who began a good work in you will continue that work until, until you see him in glory. You stand before him faultless. You have that exceeding joy that the book of Jude talks about. And that great glory in Christ Jesus with all the saints now perfected in glory in heaven. So whether we talk about conversion, a new heart, whether we talk about that right standing, justification, being declared righteous before God and accepted in Christ and our sins pardoned, whether we talk about the growing Christian life being sanctified or we talk about glorification, this is the Lord's activity. He is at work. Now, just as Paul is saying that he who began a good work in you, it doesn't mean then that there's a passivity to the Christian life. Paul is going to tell them in chapter 2, it is, a, it is God who's at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And that's why he opens that passage up by saying, work out your salvation. You know that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's why he adds those words to qualify how we're to work out our salvation, how we're to follow Christ in discipleship, how we're to follow Christ in obedience to his commands. We're to follow in fear and trembling. What does that mean? Lord, you're at work within me. Fear him. Lord, you're the one to guide me. You're the one to lead me. You're the one to direct my, my, my mouth, my hands, my feet, my heart. Lord, I lean on you even as I serve you. The Bible tells us he is at work in you to will and to do his good purpose for you, to conform you to Christ, to lead you in Christ. These are, these are truths that get married mysteriously. Our God is sovereign. Our God is always at work. And at the same time, we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, believing him, trusting him. Lord, you're with me. You're accompanying your word with me. All the while, you see, we say, we're here to follow Christ. We're here this day, whom we will, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the living God and follow his commands. So sometimes we, we get mixed up with this passivity idea. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Just as our God is working and he is active, working to will and do his good pleasure in our lives, all according to his purpose. At the same time, we receive the commands of God. And that's why, that's why Augustine of old, back in the 300s and 400s, he would pray, Lord, give your commands and then give for the obedience to your commands. Uh, he knew his complete dependency upon uh, the Lord. Now, our God is the God who initiates and completes. What encouragement that is for us. Now, friends, I want to make one application beyond remembering which is so important for us to do, remembering that we serve a sovereign God who's always active, who's always working. When Paul gives an emphasis here that he who began, he who began, we should have in our minds, whether they be little children 
who are growing up in the truths of God, in their beginning of their years, they're growing up in the truths of God. That's to say, remember that God is using, God is working in small children. God is working in the circumstances of our parenting. God is working in those early years of discipleship, or maybe in their sixth and seventh and eighth grade years of their discipleship. When Paul is reflecting on he who began, it also includes the actual maturation of a child growing up. Because that's the reflection that we would remember. For a child who's raised in the covenant, he or she may never remember a day when he did not have instruction in the Lord and a call to discipleship and a call to faith in Christ Jesus. That's the normal maturation. He who began a good work in you, whether it's from those early years. It certainly also remembers reflection upon where we would have a great awareness of our sin and conviction, of conversion. We might even use the word, a memorable conversion. Some of our children don't remember. But they're growing in that confession. They're growing in that confession of their sin and that confession of Christ. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. For those of us who have an awareness, an awareness where God has been at work in our hearts, brought us to a consciousness in our grown years, an awareness. I didn't know the Lord, now I do. The same is true. He who began a good work in you. Our God is the God who elects before the foundation of the world, and he brings that electing love into our day-to-day experience to where we're growing in Christ, living in Christ, confessing Christ, cleaving to his promises, embracing his commands. He who began a good work in you. So friends, as we plant a church, the matter of our younger years in church planting or the matter where we might see particular seasons of conviction in the life of the church, awareness of our sin as a faith community, Awareness of our need for Christ. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. What an encouragement for us here at Good Shepherd. He knows our early years of learning to grow in the Lord together. He who began a good work. He knows the seasons where we will have our troubles, where we're going to be convicted, and Pastor Sumter will be convicted of his sin. And there will be a greater awareness of, our, of the need for Christ, need for his word, following more closely the commands of God. He who began a good work with you with that new awareness of repentance, new awareness of Christ and the beauties of Christ. That's to say, we should expect the matters of physical maturation and we should expect conviction. A year from now, brothers, sisters should be able to come to me and say, Mark, have you grown in Christ? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. A Bible study at one of our homes, this neighborhood, a neighborhood in Missouri City, a neighborhood over here in the Richmond area, wherever it might be. We could go to each other and say, has there been greater conviction? He who began a greater awareness of the beauties and the glories of Christ Jesus. This is what church planting is about, as we say. This is what communion of the saints is about. We should expect that God is going to lead us, though those times are hard. Yes, they're hard. The ups and downs, maintaining our unity, just like the Philippians. Thinking that the gospel is getting threatened here, getting thwarted. 
No, God, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. I have in my own notes here that I've started chapters for books. I have started diets. I have started fitness programs. I have started language courses. I have started house projects. I have started, I have started, my name is Mark Starts and Fits Sumter. <laughs> but we serve a God, and I serve a God who is always accompanying his word by his spirit to lead us. Though we experience fits and starts, right? He's the unchanging God. He's constant and he's faithful. And Paul is saying, you can bank on it. He will be about completing his work. The Lord Jesus Christ, even as a young boy, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came into this world, born of the virgin, reared in his early years to be that 12-year-old boy. Remember, from his earliest years, he's saying, I should be about my father's business. When he begins his public ministry, roughly at the age of 30, when he begins his public ministry, remember, he's baptized and he goes to the wilderness there to be tempted. But when he begins his public ministry and he's out and about teaching, he has these words, my father is working and I'm working. John chapter 5. And the point is, Christ himself knew what it meant in his maturation of his years to embrace the father's business. Don't you know when Mary's asking, I would be about my father's business. Remember, he's with the teachers in the temple and they're giving questions and he's giving answers. And they're, they're astounded at this man and this young boy's knowledge of the scriptures. Remember that? But he answers, I would be about my father's business. He's giving himself to the work of the Lord. That's why he's our savior. And then in his, and then his teaching ministry, his, 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 his public ministry, he has that kind of a confession. My father's working and I am working too. And of course, that's a, that's a mighty claim to deity. That's why he gets that claim. He has come to be Lord of salvation. And of course, we know at the very end of his life, he, there at the cross, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. From start to finish, his father is at work and he gives himself to his father. That's why our faith is in Christ. Because of ourselves, we are those with fits and starts. But he's our constant savior from the littlest and the youngest of his years to his last day in his breath. He gives himself unto his Father to do the Father's work. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's the one who paves the way for us to heaven. And in Christ, in Christ by faith, he will complete that good work in us. Okay, a little bit briefer now. Or we'll, we'll, we won't go as long on this second point, but now there's practical hope. What is the practical hope? Are you living a life of thanksgiving? If God is active, and we've tried to prove that case tonight, he is active, he who began a good work, and he's the God who will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Is your life a life of thanksgiving? And that's what Paul is about. Look at verse 3 again. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always offering every prayer of mine, as he says here, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is expressing himself a life of thanksgiving, even when he's in jail. He brings it to the end of, the, end of this chapter, even when he's in jail. 
Because God is active, even in his own trials and hardships, we can thank God. Because God is active at the church at Philippi, even in their own trials, disunity, Eodia and Syntyche, their concerns and their burdens about Epaphroditus and what they hear about the gospel maybe being thwarted when he's in prison. Paul is saying it's a time for thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, as we've probably heard in recent days in light of the holiday recently, Thanksgiving is not a day, but a daily call, right? A daily call. And here's the point. Because he's working, because he's active, our God is active, we can give thanks. He's always leading us. I have a quote here from John Piper. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally leading to heaven. Life is a winding and trouble road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph, out of the Old Testament, remember Joseph. The point of the biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just in our heads, that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. No, he's plotting the course. He's managing the troubles. With what? With far-reaching purposes for our good and the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. Quote from Piper. I like that. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next. Because he's active, whether there be mountains or valleys in our lives. Mountains or valleys in our church, Good Shepherd. Because he is active, we can be thankful. We can be thankful. Again, practical hope, living out a life of thanksgiving. God, you're working here. Then secondly, fellowship. Because God is active, we can expect God to use our relationships. In this passage, he says at verse 8, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. He says at verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. Excuse me. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. What is the so what? What's the practical hope with respect that because our God is active, he is going to use the relationships we have in the body of Christ. He's going to use the gifts and the graces. That's what what the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about back in the section on the communion of the saints, we have a sharing in the gifts and the graces of one another. We should be expecting that God is going to be using our youngest members, young boys and girls. You know how young boys and girls are, right? When it's time to pray, they're just ready to lay it out, right? They just speak their hearts and minds before the living God. We should expect that model and that example to catch us up short. And at the same time, our senior saints, couples, families, single persons, they're going to bring a contribution of grace 
and fellowship and partnership we would not otherwise know. Because God is using relationships to shape his church and to carve out for himself a people who adorn Christ. He says, I have you in my heart. He says here, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. These things are flowing out of the gospel. Paul knows that affection and relationships and praying for each other and checking in with each other is all a part of being partakers of grace with each other. And what encouragement this is. The bottom line for the apostle here, the bottom line for the apostle here is that as he places his confidence in the living God, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. The bottom line is that Paul is given over to a life of service. He can be on with his work. He can be on with his ministry. He's not going to sit back and say, well, God, God must not be showing up anymore. That's not his theological position. His theological position is God is the sovereign ruler. He orders all the cares, concerns, the, 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 the outflowing of every circumstance. He is the Lord of all, and thus he's always working. And Paul's saying, I can be thankful in my imprisonment. I can be expectant that in my imprisonment, the gospel's going forward. And I can be expectant with confidence in the living God because he's at work in the life of the church. Service, that's what we're talking about. Serving one another, being an example to one another. I close with these words. Once again, we go to Christ. John chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. He will bring about that which he has started. And the supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the supper and he laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he girded himself and after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior because he came to serve his Father. And in serving his Father, because his confidence is in his Father, he gave himself away to others. And that is what Paul is saying. Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Paul is confident because of God working, he then can give himself away in service. Will you do that in Christ's strength? Lord, I'm here to give myself away. Good shepherd, our God and Father is leading us. He's plotting the course. He's managing the troubles. And he has his glorious purposes in view. There's no other place, right? There's no other place we'd rather be 
in the palms of our Savior, the embrace of our Father, and the Spirit who himself lives within us so that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is getting the glory in all things. And so we serve in faith, and we trust in him, confident he will carry us. Let's pray. Father, maybe there is an area of life and service in this new week where you would give us the gain and the advance in repentance and faith to embrace Christ Jesus and to live out of his strength. Oh, Father, there would be a range of areas for application in our lives. You direct our steps. We thank you, Lord, here, as we have said, that you give us that expectancy and that hope, that forward-looking anticipation. Because you're our God. He, the living God, he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Oh, Father, we ask that you would direct our steps. May we reach for that bowl and towel with the water and serve and serve with abandon because you are always at work. May we lift our hearts up with great thanksgiving. May we lift our hearts up with anticipation and expectation that, Lord, you're the living God. Our trust is in you. Some will trust in princes. Some will trust in the strength of a horse or the legs of a man. But our trust, our hope, our service is according to the working of the living God. You're our hope. You're our trust. Lead us, we would ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.